0: Thank you, Jessica. Luke chapter one, verse one. Luke chapter one, verse one. December comes around. I love to preach out of the Christmas story. The Christmas story starts a lot earlier than the manger. In fact, Luke begins it quite some time earlier. You want to always get the whole story, why he includes this. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. The people waited for Zacharias, marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you it's the story for every day of the year. We thank you it's a story for every person that breathes on this planet. We thank you for the love that sent Jesus to be on this earth and to dwell among us. Now we ask we would not lose that meaning in all the busyness of the holiday season and all the concerns of life. We ask you to remind us every single day that his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Help us to see him. Help us who follow him. Help us, Father, to share him with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Luke is very helpful to the reader of his gospel. Luke, of course, was a doctor. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul calls him a beloved physician. Verses 1 through 5, he's helpful because he explains... As to why he wrote this book, he was explaining to a man called Theophilus. The word Theophilus means lover of God. The word excellent Theophilus means he held a high position. That tells us probably this man was a a official in a high position who had come to know the Lord and his nickname now was lover of God. What a nickname. And then he had heard so many things about Jesus Christ. He said many things have been going around about Jesus Christ from a lot of different people. Then he said, but the eyewitnesses are telling us some things too. So he said, I have investigated all of these things. Now, there's a, a term that goes around these days called fact check to make sure that something was true. Luke began to fact check all of these things going on about Jesus Christ. And the things that he heard, he always consulted with the people that were there the eyewitnesses from the very beginning. And he carefully researched all of these things so he could write an orderly account so Theophilus would know certainly which things were true and which things were not. He was a doctor. He was a well-educated man. He knew how to conduct research, and he knew how to accurately record his facts. The Greek that you'll find in the book of Luke, according to ancient uh, Greek texts and scholars are the best Greek grammars and sentences and paragraphs and put together better than most Greek manuscripts of any kind in that day and time. He knew how to write. He knew how to communicate properly. And when he recorded these things, he knew how to put them into order. He was a doctor. That's important. Now, it's been said, a preacher sees people at their best. Law enforcement officers see people at their worst. But a doctor sees people like they really are. And Luke saw people like they really are. Like Jesus saw people. And when Luke saw these people, he saw them as they are, but he still loved them. And he wrote how Jesus loved them. And he wrote how Jesus respected them, even though he saw them as they really are. He records how Jesus dealt with people and how people loved, how Jesus loved the people that others would not. Of course, we start in the Christmas story when the angel, as we usually begin the Christmas story, came to Mary. You see, Luke dealt very positively with women. We don't understand why that's important now, but you have to understand in the time in which Luke wrote, women were not treated very kindly in Jewish society nor in Roman society. Especially in the Hebrew society, a Hebrew man would wake up and say this prayer every morning, I thank you, God, that I'm not a slave or a woman or a Gentile. Women were not respected in public. Women were not to be talked to in public by any self-respecting man. Women were put in a very, very negative, oppressed situation. But Luke makes it a point to highlight and to showcase women in a very positive light in his gospel. He writes, of course, of Elizabeth, Elizabeth She has a a song to sing about the Savior, and he records that. He records the birth narrative of Jesus Christ from Mary's point of view. Later on in the temple, he records the words of Anna, who, of course, sees Jesus Christ and recognizes him for who he is. He talks about the widow of Nain. He talks about the widow's two mites and how Jesus honored her among all people. He talks about, in chapter 8, the women who supported him in his ministry. Several of them. He makes sure to include them. He also includes the woman who touched the hem of his garment. And then there's this woman, chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, not only was she a woman, but she was a woman with a reputation, and she was known in town as a sinner. Now, you would say, Well, of course she was. We're all sinners. Well, that's not what Luke was meaning, and that's not what this man meant. He meant this lady was disgusting. This lady was untouchable. This lady was unacceptable. This lady absolutely positively should not be in here, but she had slipped in. As Jesus reclined at the table, her sins had convicted her and the greatness of Jesus had convicted her. She was weeping on his feet and wiping his feet with the hairs of her head and she had an alabaster box of ointment and she anointed his feet. And this man said, this is altogether disgusting. He, He shouldn't be letting her do this. And he said in his heart, man, she's a sinner. She's an outcast. I don't know how she'll ever get into the kingdom. Never. Jesus says this to the lady, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The person that somebody thought would never get into the kingdom could never find salvation, could never have com- communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at her and said, your faith has saved you and you can go in peace. You see, that's the difference in how Luke wrote about the love of Jesus toward the people that other folks would have gladly ignored. You see, women were just invisible. You didn't notice them. They were totally ignored, but not by Jesus Christ. An outcast, an untouchable, an unreachable Jesus reached her. But you see, Luke includes the other outcast. You see, the Jewish people had a a vile hatred for Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and especially the Romans, especially a Roman soldier. And if you remember, Luke includes the fact that Jesus went out of his way to start toward a Roman centurion's house to heal his servant. A Roman centurion, Roman soldier occupying our city. This is horrible. These people are untouchable. These people are just outcasts from us. We don't want anything to do with them, but Jesus went out of his way. The Samaritans were even worse. The Samaritans were hated among the Jews, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. There is no racial strife in our country that matches the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. They were were totally at odds with each other. In fact, it was so bad that if you remember, in the book of Luke, Jesus is going to a Samaritan village. This is in Luke chapter 9. And the Samaritan says, No, you can't come here. You're a Jew on the way to Jerusalem? Absolutely not. We don't want you in our town, Jesus. Where the disciples said, Well, we'll show them. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from Elijah? And we'll burn them up. We'll show them. He said... You don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You see, the Samaritans that were so hated and so reviled by everybody else, Jesus said, I came to save them too. Within the Jewish society, there were other people that were hated among the Hebrews, tax collectors. You see, a publican was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector who collected taxes for the Roman government, the enemy, those vile Gentiles. You see, Rome had Palestine in its iron fist, and the taxes were horrible. Tax collectors got wealthy because they could levy whatever taxes they wanted to and pay what had to be paid to the government, and they kept the extra. So when a tax collector got rich, they got rich off of the other people's money and Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector oh he's good he was chief among the tax collectors he was a ringleader of them all and he came and tried to see Jesus and he climbed up in the tree and Jesus went to the tree and I imagine all the other Jewish people said this is going to be good Jesus got him treed Jesus looked up and said hey Zacchaeus I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus scampered down out of the tree and he went home and he prepared a great feast and the Jewish people said, we can't believe Jesus taking time up with Zacchaeus. You know what Jesus said about Zacchaeus? He said, today salvation has come to your house. It's Luke that talked about the prodigal son. Then I would say the most untouchable, un- most unreachable, the, the man that said, somebody would say he has no hope. It's over. When Jesus was crucified, there were men on either side of the cross, on their crosses. The Jewish people begin to revile Jesus and to make fun of him, and the man on the other cross began to do the same thing. And then here's this person on the cross, he's minutes away from death. He has nothing to offer. He can't join a church. He can't be baptized. He can't go do anything good. He looks over and says, we deserve what we're getting. We deserve every bit of this. This man deserves nothing. And then he said to Jesus, would you remember me when you go into the kingdom? Jesus said, today you'll be with me. This this is totally illogical, isn't it? People couldn't believe it. You say, this man was minutes away from death. It's over for him. He's hopeless. There's no way he gets in. Jesus said, today you'll be with me. His faith saved him minutes away from death. That is the story of Jesus that Luke tells. But in this immediate story, he starts with the honor of a lifetime. Priest, Zacharias. Zacharias was chosen to burn incense in the Holy of Holies. Now, there were several thousand priests, and they would go and spend two weeks out of the year in Jerusalem. So there were 24 different times they could go, and 24 different courses or groups of priests. And you would go, and then they'd draw lots, see who would go in to burn incense. That, that would not happen to everybody. And when it did happen, you couldn't do it again. It was the chance of a lifetime. He was an old man. He had seen it come and go. And he finally had the, the honor of all honors. He was chosen to burn incense in the holy place. And we also have the timeless message of eternal truths. In verse 11. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You shall have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He shall turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the disobedient, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now there's several things here. The first thing he tells him is fear not. Don't be afraid. It says that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And that's for good reason. First of all, he goes in to the Holy of Holies. There's only one way in. And he has gone through that door, and he is standing looking at the altar. Then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears by by the altar, and he didn't come in that door. There's only one way in, and he is standing there. Now, it was also assumed that if the priest ever saw an angel in the Holy of Holies, that it would mean certain death. In fact, the priest who entered the Holy of Holies would have a rope tied around their ankles, so if they died in there, they could drag them out. So he saw this angel, and the angel said, Don't be afraid. The first words to break the silence of the ages is this, Don't be afraid. Did you know that Luke uses this several times just in the Christmas story and all through his book? The word is fear not. Look, there's plenty to be afraid of. We've got plenty to be afraid of. But the message of the ages is for us not to be afraid. Then he says this, the message of the ages, God is hearing your prayers. Your prayer is heard. Now, we also know, we ask the question, what do you mean, his prayer for what? What was he praying for? You say, well, Brother it's pretty obvious. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You see, they were old and they didn't have children. Now, in this day, it's enough of a frustration and a hardship and a sadness for parents who want to have children and can't. But in the day in which Luke wrote, it was a reproach. People looked at couples that didn't have children and they assumed something was wrong with their spiritual life. How would you like that stigma? The word reproach is what Elizabeth used. She was reproached among people and they they had to deal with that. Now they were old and looked like all hope was gone and God said, your prayer is heard. So we say, well, he's been praying a long time and God heard his prayer. But there's another prayer too. Did you know that every priest and every loyal Jew always prayed for the coming of the Messiah? And at that time more than ever, oh man, They prayed over and over and over again. World events and circumstances looked worse and worse and worse. And he said, don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard. And the third thing that we notice is God's message is not affected by the passing of time or circumstances. There are two things that are mentioned here. First of all, when John says, how am I going to know this is true? The angel says, I... Am Gabriel. I may not mean much to you and to me, but the Zacharias that meant everything, because Gabriel is mentioned in the book of Daniel. Gabriel is the angel that spoke to Daniel, and watch this, five hundred years earlier. Now Zacharias, being a priest and being a student of the scriptures, would recognize that immediately. I'm Gabriel. And he's looking at Gabriel that 500 years earlier had talked to Daniel. He was familiar with this. And so we understand that regardless of everything that had changed, God's messenger was still on track. And then we have the message. The message that he gives to him, beginning in verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you say, man, that is beautiful. But that's not original. Those are the words that are written in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. The last book of the Old Testament the last prophetic-inspired words that God had for them, and that was 400 years earlier. 400 years earlier. That may not mean a lot until you understand what had happened in that 400 years. In the 400 years between the book of Malachi and, of course, the New Testament, Alexander the Great had conquered the entire world and turned the whole world upside down. His successors, after he died, his kingdom was split into four divisions. A few generations later, Antiochus Epiphanes inherited Palestine. Antiochus Epiphanes, the word Epiphanes, means the manifestation of God, so you know what his attitude was toward himself. But as is usual... A lot of political figures become, of course, the object of political cartoons. And they made up another name for him, Antiochus Epiphanes. That means madman. The man was mad. The man was crazy and not in a good way. The man came and he saw the Jewish people in Palestine, and his life's goal was to totally erase the Hebrew religion off the face of the earth. He came into Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem resisted the fact that he came into the temple. He slaughtered 80,000 people in Jerusalem. Then he marched into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Holy of Holies to his God, Zeus. Now you say, man, this is a lot that happened. Yeah, it was. To the whole world, it looked like the Hebrew people had lost. God was silent. God had quit. God was through. He was nowhere to be found. So we understand that you would say it's all different. It was religious upheaval. It looked like the forces of evil had won against God. But God was not through. When God came to speak with Zacharias, he said, the things I said 400 years ago have not changed and the things I said would happen 400 years ago are about to happen. There are no events. There are no leaders. There are no rulers. There are no circumstances. Changes of culture or whatever, nothing can stop what I'm about to do. He was not through. And there's some inspiration that we need today. That's where we wrap it up. Let's look at Zacharias the inspiration we need today. We see a man who was doing his job, doing his job. Now, we don't think too much of that except for the fact he did his job despite years and years of personal disappointment. You know how many years they wanted a child? Year after year after year after year. And now, after all those years of disappointment, still faithful in doing his job. So was his wife. It says they were faithful in the ordinances and commandments of the Lord, blameless. They were both righteous. They both did their jobs despite difficult conditions. You see, Luke includes a a detail that's important here. He said, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, and Herod was an awful man, Herod was as mad as as Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a murderous, jealous man, as we will see later on in the Christmas narrative. He was a bad guy. He was the one over that region. In addition to that, the Jewish leaders had become corrupt. 30 years later, Jesus would start pointing out the hypocrisy and the emptiness of some of the Jewish leaders, not all of them. But all of that was going on. And he still did his job. Listen to this. The religious leaders let him down. The political political leadership was corrupt. He had personal pain on his life. But remember this. He never gave up on God. And he never gave up on the church. He was doing his job in the house of God, despite everything that was going wrong. There's our inspiration from Zacharias. But we also see this, and this is the exclamation point. In the book of Malachi, God promised that he would send the messenger. In the early part of the book of Luke, the angel promised the messenger is coming. His name will be called John. In the preceding years, there's more trouble. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Luke is important, is, is, gives us some important details. And he's faithful to say in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod the, being tetrarch of Galilee, still there, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etruria the region of Trachonitis, Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. 30 years later, God was still doing his job. No matter what else changed, God was doing his job. Couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop it. Circumstances, culture, leaders, rulers, catastrophe, couldn't stop God. And we can't either. Now you might say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I'm not on a campaign to stop God. Well, let me just explain it this way. God's doing his job in that God came to reach the world with a message of the love of Jesus Christ and the wonderful offer of forgiveness of sins and a savior is born. You can't stop him from loving you. can't do it. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've, where you've gone, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, you might think, God, God can never love me because God loves you. You can't stop him from loving you. You can't do enough wrong to keep him from loving you. He loves you. He loves you and he will continue to do his job to reach you with his love and reach you with the message that salvation is possible. You see, that's the Christmas gift. A Savior is born to us. As he told Matthew, and he will save his people from their sins. He loves you. You can't stop it. Can't stop it. He loves you and he wants to reach you with the message of his love. Do you know that message? Perhaps you're here and You've never accepted Christ. This is the time and place to do that. Perhaps you're here and you're that close to giving up. Zacharias never gave up on God, never gave up on being faithful to him no matter what the disappointment is. And whatever your disappointment hurt, your prayer is heard. God knows it. Why don't we talk to him some more about it this morning as we stand and sing. What number? Brother number 82. <laughs>